This is episode 29 of the Brick and Data podcast, a podcast dedicated to retail news, analytics, and tech. Coming up in this episode, is anyone immune to Amazon? Better together. In the future of stores and food. And more in this episode of Brick and Data. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Brick and Data podcast. This is Todd Harris, and I'm joined by Jose Chan, as always. How are you, Jose? I'm well. Hi, everyone. So happy anniversary, man. It's been one year of uh, of doing this podcast. I was looking back and I saw our first one was August 12th of 2016. So, yay. Wow. Yay. <laughs> yay. yay. Uh, yeah. So I think in, in celebration of that, we're going to do a little something something for those that want to listen or those that do listen. Um, we'll do a little giveaway and we'll have... We'll have it tied to uh, iTunes reviews and letting us know you did the review. And we'll we'll have a uh, maybe three, four or five items to give away. We'll run it for a couple of weeks. So more on that really soon. Uh, if you want to if you want to hear more about that, follow us on Twitter. It's at BrickDataCast and we'll have all the details there for sure. Um, so why don't we just dive in after we're done patting ourselves in the back there for a year, uh, <laughs> a year, a year well done, I think um, we will dig in here a little bit more to a few of our topics today. And it, and it seems like we've we've become this podcast almost that talks about Amazon all the time. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how I feel about that, but it's almost like it's it's inevitable. It's it's kind of hard to avoid them. Right. Yeah, it seems like, Todd, look, we're going through through a big sea change in our industry and it, and it for your to your point it's absolutely difficult to avoid since they seem to be um leading the charge in many ways yeah so it's fun to think about you know to just sit back for a moment and think about who if anyone not 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 me or, or you but you know, retailers themselves who's immune to amazon who who has the ability to escape <clears throat> the the grip of Amazon and it's not always a death grip uh, it could be a it could be a grip that accelerates a retailer but the question is is this something that is this something that um, some retailers can escape and succeed on their own and uh, you know that's from um, an article we found on Bloomberg that was talking about uh, some sectors some retail sectors that that can escape that but it seems that there's fewer and fewer types with you know some of the activity we've seen from Amazon over the past uh, several months with Whole Foods uh, uh, purchasing Whole Foods uh, sending sending the grocery industry into a bit of a panic at least for a short while maybe that's subsided for a little bit until they make their next move with that right and you know with Nike and agreeing to uh, sell some of their products on or all of their products on Amazon I'm not sure the details on that but that being a uh, an actual inked agreement is also creating some some activity in the in the, the athletic industry, I guess you could say. 
And there's there's a whole bunch of other examples with that too across other other parts of the of the clothing industry too of retailers wanting some more exposure either having specific products made for Amazon or a subset of their products that are being sold solely on Amazon um, to offer themselves some differenti- differentiation there, right? Of places to sell things, not only in their own brick and mortar or their own e-com store, but on Amazon too. So, you know, I don't know. It doesn't seem to be that bad of a thing for a lot of retailers, but still we got to look at just to be, you know, just just to be um, consistent and to look at the opposite side of things is look at who might be Amazon proof and and maybe we can answer the question later, maybe, of would they want to be anyway, right? Sure. And and to that, before we jump into that piece, I think it's important to point out that there are retailers or brands, rather, that uh, don't want to be on Amazon. Um, and so uh, two main cases would be luxury goods providers certainly do not want to be on Amazon, even though uh, as resold items um, that the brands might be on the website, but there's a dispute about that. But more recently, uh, in the news, we had Birkenstock making a big fuss uh, about the CEO of Birkenstock making a big, big fuss. Now, it, it's look, Birkenstock is now a hot shoe. For many years, it was considered kind of like something that was <laughs> an anomaly, <laughs> a little bit like Crocs, so right? Weird. I, I don't get the Birkenstock thing. I'm not a fan <laughs> at all. Zero. I, I think. It, it, they started, I can't remember what designer, uh, yeah. how many seasons ago, right? Started putting it on the runway and it became really, really hot like uh, two years ago or so. Then now Amazon wanted to sell them, but Birkenstock says, no way, we're not going to sell you Amazon. And so Amazon came up with this scheme uh, where it was going to purchase it from third party sellers to sell on their website just to have Birkenstock and the CEO was in an uproar. So that's an example mm. of... Someone unlike Nike, it's like saying, no way, guys. Uh, and, and it was a big, it was in the press, big letter. Uh, and he went head to head in terms of being very pointed towards Amazon. Very interesting. I didn't read anything about that. Is that, was that recent? Mm, <clears throat> happened. This started, this started last year in, let's say June, 2016, roughly. Uh, and this letter, um, was last month in July, 2017. Mm. And there, there, there's been media about it because no one goes really like this against Amazon. Yeah. Well, we'll see how that works out for them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, but, I, but, but I'll have to say, look, I'm on the side of Birkenstock. A, a retailer should be feel free or a brand to sell wherever it thinks its customers want to be. Sure. Right? And even if you have market power, um, like Amazon does, then it doesn't necessarily mean you have to bully people around in terms of like, well, look, I'm the biggest, hottest game in town for now, uh, so you must be on my website. Right. Well, you know, it, it may not be, maybe um, customers will look for substitute products there. And maybe Birkenstock doesn't have as strong of a brand as they thought they did. And maybe people will, will want to buy an Amazon so much that they'll look for a different type of shoe that's sold on Amazon. Um, maybe not. But, I mean, the, the case to buy an Amazon is so compelling in that the return process is so simple. The, the shipping process is so fast that so many other retailers just can't keep up with that. Um, I've had experiences over the past couple months with specialty retailers like that and um, ordering and it taking five, seven days to get to me. And then the, the return process being a nightmare and being long and arduous and you need to send pictures and then you need to, you know, respond for an RMA number and all that. It, it's, you know, 
then gone becomes the the desire to buy through them and maybe they'll go to a nordstrom or something or somewhere somewhere like that to buy them instead so i, I just think of it if you know birkenstock is going to be like that then they need to you know make sure that their that their logistical side and ordering side and and all of that stuff is 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 top notch to be able to compete sure. that way right uh, yeah i fully agree and uh, although i think look given that they're I believe they're a German company. Um, they logistically are pretty pretty okay. I've never ordered from them, mm-hmm. uh, but I have seen them at Nordstrom. And they do have uh, independent. So they're big with independence, right? Just because if you think of their origin. It, it, what, see, what, so this is also another interesting question is who's stronger? Is it the brand or the retailer? And who has the power in this case? Because they're an interesting company. If you think about... Uh, so you're saying about speed and fulfillment, they're from a time when it's more about the authenticity. They're right. not a luxury brand, right? But right. it's about the authentic feel of – it's kind of a little bit like a Patagonia is where I would put them in, right? Yeah, I agree. Um, so I, I'm not sure if that particular customer, not necessarily the fashion customer that wants it for fashion's sake, mm-hmm. would, 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 would wait, right? Because they do have you know, those uh, soft uh, – at times, mm-hmm. <laughs> insoles that they have in their shoes, and it has this whole earthy feel about it, if you will. Yeah, some some customers will wait actually, right. and, and but but go ahead, you were going to say. No, I was just I was going to say I've never seen you wearing Birkenstocks, and you seem very passionate about them, Jose. Actually, I love Birkenstocks. <laughs> you love them, okay? Maybe it's not maybe it's not <laughs> office wear, and I wouldn't see you in a formal setting that way. Uh, no, you, it's funny, <laughs> but I, I, I do wear Birkenstock okay. as much as I wear Patagonia. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this is, I guess this is one of the ways. So one of the reasons why one, one characteristic that makes a retailer, uh, Amazon proof in a way is that it is a specialty product and it is unique. And if they choose to not sell it on Amazon, that could be, that could be their, their path to success and that they're not, um, they're not just like anything else out there, right? They are unique. <clears throat> and that's probably, I would think, in my opinion, looking at some of these reasons that the um, Morgan Stanley folks in the Bloomberg article that were linked in the show notes put up there, they, they put a few more financial reasons or, you know, business models, making sure you have a, you know, a, a business model that's that maybe that was referring more to some of the logistical stuff or you know, pricing or availability or whatever. Um, and... Um, you know, perhaps are being susceptible susceptible to regulations of anything like that. Uh, but being unique is is special, you know, and that's what's gonna that that's what that's what's gonna make them somewhat Amazon proof. And that you know, Amazon can't necessarily recreate a a non commodity product. It would be very expensive for them, wouldn't it? I mean, they could they have their Amazon Basics line, which essentially is commodity products with an Amazon label for the most part. Um, and they're very nice, by the way. But, you know, Birkenstocks, it's, that would be hard for them to replicate unless they have a relationship with another brand of similar cachet to yeah. Birkenstock. Yeah, and I think you hit it right on the head earlier, right? When you said you kind of have to, if you're unique, I think, look, in the industry overall, whether you're a brand, wholesaler, retailer, the it, it, this industry has low barriers to entry, right? Uh, specifically apparel, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that look, you got a a mark, a felt marker, a white piece of paper, and a sewing machine and some fabric. You could call yourself a designer and create a collection. Mm-hmm. That's that's not 
not terribly technologically difficult to, to enter. The hard piece is really creating the brand aura or that cachet, as you said. And if you could do that then and maintain that for a while, that's what you're trading on. And you need to have things that are special because only you have them. And if you have that, that that's that's an intangible that even if you could make a product, uh, think of, of a private label um, potato chip at, at, a, at a local grocery store, you could create exactly the same potato chip uh, as a branded potato chip. But chances are, even if it's exactly the same factory, the same ingredients to some extent, right? You have, have to have like a little variation um, in order to not infringe on trademarks or copyrights or anything, your special sauces, etc. Um, you're still going to want the branded one because you just, for, for whatever reason, that brand speaks to you somehow. And I don't know for that I get potato it. chip. Oh, I get it. And I think that's that's brands have power like, Maybe like they did back in the 80s, perhaps, you know, where when it, if you look at the power, um, I, I mean, you look at things like Coke, you know, those types of brands, they've, they've definitely lost a bit of that in, sure. in, in recent years or the recent decade or so. But, you know, they were a powerhouse and they had influence back in the day and people would, um, back in the day, uh, people would choose <laughs> Coke for Coke's sake, you know, um, or whatever side they were on. And it's just like that with other brands, whether it's tech brands, whether it's, you know, shoe brands, um, uh, you know, it could be, it could be honestly anything, t-shirt brands, you know, or watches, anything like that. If it has a brand label on that you like, then you will most likely stick with that brand unless there's been some, some horrible miscalculation or, or, or treatment from a customer service perspective. And, um, and that's speaking of customer service, that's, um, that's another angle where if, if there is, and this is part of that article we're feeding off of here, if there's a large amount of of customer interaction required after a, uh, an item is sold, um, Amazon is most likely to be less interested. And that makes total sense, right? And, mm -hmm. and this is, doesn't mean like, you know, buying a tchotchke, uh, buying a painting or something and then needing to, you know, whatever, some, do something with it to, to get it up on your wall. But that actually ties into it is if there is something, some follow-up related to purchasing something and they put in examples that are uh, interesting because it's pretty obvious to me and I can't ever see Amazon issuing any type of healthcare or home improvement services um, or construction services or specialty goods. Um, but there are things, I mean, there are unique things that they do offer out there. Um, but if, for example, this is, this might seem silly, but um, one of the burners on my stove conked out um, about a month ago. So when it's an electric stove and it needs these specialty parts to fix mm -hmm. it, and I was sure. out there searching for them, and I was able to find them on specific sites where, you know, it's meant for appliance replacement. So I found them there. And of course, because I'm, I always do this, I always check the, the part number on Amazon to see if it's there. <laughs> and like half the time it was there, but the other half it wasn't. So it just shows you that their, their focus on that, on, the, on that side of the house, on those specialty things, you know, we're not going to sell a ton of them. Right. They're, they're not there sure. to be sold all the time. They're not going to volume out of these things. It's not like their pick and pack is going to be focused on, on, you know, switches for a burner. Um, so they're staying away from those specialty industries, it seems for sure. But that goes back to, I think, our, you know, commodity products and non-commodity products, which is probably the heavier, heavier influence on whether Amazon will have an effect on an industry or not. Exactly. And to add to that, the other piece, right, is another thing 
that might make um, company Amazon proof would be regulation. If there are heavy regulations um, to given products, they they or industries, they they may not really choose to go in there because it's too much of a. It doesn't work for their model. Yeah. Right? So yeah, it's too much. You know, they they only have. They are Amazon, and as we saw in the news, they just—they're hiring, you know, fifty thousand or fifty thousand workers. Was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, exactly. they're hiring plenty of people, but they are not there to negotiate contracts. They're not there to deal with complex post-sale interactions. They're there to pick and pack products. Um, that's it. So, you know, they're very clear as to what what they want to do and the stuff they want to sell, and they don't want to be involved in complex business models, complex post-sale situations, or deep contract negotiations related to uh to other types of uh other types of sales of more complex products or services so we know that maybe that was obvious who knows but it was interesting to see it declared by uh the morgan stanley folks sure exactly which goes to, to your point right you're, you're essentially saying um part of that is these long contract you know negotiations that go with it which which uh, to summarize what we're saying essentially i think it's being unique um, it's also having, uh, being Amazon proof means if you're in an industry that has heavy regulation, uh, you, Amazon probably won't enter it. Uh, if you have a high customer service level, mm -hmm. they can't do that. And this is especially true for our, let's say brick and mortar retail, um, listeners, uh, although they may have whole foods, they're not in apparel yet, but you could differentiate. Um, going back to a little bit of this old-fashioned customer service, right? And then we said contract negotiations. Um, anything that has a contract that's long uh, is probably not something um, that Amazon will get into as an industry. Mm -hmm. Agreed, agreed. So while we're talking about how to avoid Amazon, who's immune to Amazon, there's also situations um, bringing us closer to our next topic here of retailers, brick-and-mortar retailers, aligning with Amazon to perhaps better the store experience, which is interesting thought, right? So we can talk about this in a minute, uh, or to increase their own sales. So, um, Jose, you want to take us through some of that? What's happening? Sure, absolutely. So online mattress retailer, Tuck to Needle, is using Amazon technology, which includes Echo devices, in a new brick and mortar store, which will open in October in Amazon's hometown of Seattle. So this is the fourth store for this online retailer, and it's going to have in-store tablets uh, for customers to read products review from, uh, obviously from Amazon, as well as Echo devices that they could ask, use to ask Alexa questions about the store, as well as um, any questions related to merchandise. Oh, okay. So they started online. <clears throat> Tough to needle. Yes. They started online mm -hmm. and they moved to stores. And are, did it say all of their stores are in Seattle or is it just one of them? Uh, I believe the other three are around the country. Oh, okay. Cool. I think in the first one was open 2012. Mm -hmm. uh, this one will be in Seattle. I, I don't think they have another one in Seattle. They might, but I'm not 100% sure. Okay. And so they could use one-click purchasing uh, through the Amazon mobile app while they're in store. So Amazon and handles the fulfillment side of it? Is that right? It handles the, the getting it to the customer? Exactly. Uh, and they have one day prime shipping. So absolutely. That's amazing. That's actually, that's brilliant. I mean, it's a great idea because as we were just talking about this, that's Amazon's thing, right? They're the logistical 
um, order management experts. So exactly, yeah. exactly, and it, it, it's I, I I agree, it's a great idea. But again, if these this company is not careful, not let's say special enough mm-hmm. with their brand, uh, who's to say that you can't replicate that model yourself? If it's a successful right. business, and it's mattresses too. I mean, and this this and part of this also goes against what we were just saying, and that it is special, it is unique. Um, <clears throat> and we were just saying that maybe unique, unique retailers or those that offer a unique product and mattresses maybe aren't unique, but it. They, it think about it though. I mean, it, it takes you know what they're what they're doing here. They realize it takes some touching and feeling of mattresses to see if you want it, but there's also. Um, you know, my last experience of, of which was a while ago of buying a mattress was actually really nice. And it seems like it'd be s- as simple as these guys here, meaning you buy it and if you don't like it, you can return it and they come get it. And that's all you really want. You just want to know someone's going to come get it if you don't like it. Right. I mean, that's the that's the baseline here. So Amazon's going to have to deal with these big old bulky mattresses. I, I don't know how they're going to send them either through their own courier or UPS, but I don't think UPS delivers those type of things. So I'm curious to know more about the back end of that and how that works but i guess the start part the stuff that we're going to talk about here is more of that in-store experience which is interesting exactly and we'd have to take a look at look at the mattress right because if you think about it there this company was more similar to let's say a casper um rather than an existing mattress company right so if you think of casper if the, those, and I, I don't know about Tuft & Needle, but if they're competitors, which is my best guess right now, um, the, the Casper mattresses, you could fold these into the little box and the return rate is actually not that high because people that I've spoken to that have bought Casper mattresses, mm-hmm. I, um, and I'm using this as a data point to kind of um, give us some perhaps insight on Tuft & Needle, is that they love them, that they're comfortable. Really? I was a little skeptical. I'm like, I don't know, is Casper, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. anyone that I've talked to about Casper is like, oh my God, I just got it and it came in a little box and it folded out. Are you sure they're not just enamored enamored by the experience of opening it up in a little box and have it, you know, uh, a quadruple its size or whatever? <laughs> I think that's... <laughs> the cool factor of that alone is something It's just, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of it. But they, they've sworn, oh, it is such a great sleep. I'm like, okay, if you say so, I'll take your word for it. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, how – maybe I'm a little old school this way, but I'm <laughs> – you know, and I've slept on my share of Ikea mattresses. Oh, boy. Um, in college. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, you know. Maybe this is an upgrade for sure, uh, but how much of an upgrade, I don't know. So my, my, my point is, tough to needle, if they're like Casper, it could make sense, right? I mean, but then again, who's to say Amazon doesn't create its own brand that's cooler? Right, right, exactly. And um, But it, I, think it's, I think it makes total sense. I mean, there's probably, I don't know if they have all inventory, um, meaning every model of mattress is, is at Amazon. I'm guessing only some of them are. I, I don't know, but it seems like they've got some inventory in Amazon held by Amazon at their warehouses uh, and some held by Tuft & Needle. So, you know, there's lots of questions I think people have in their mind when they're ordering something in an especially a situation like this where it's like a hybrid model. 
you know, that enters some some questions in their mind on who's going to ship it to me, how long is it going to take, uh, what if I need to return it, who do I call, do I have someone at Tuft the Needle that I can speak to, or do I have to contact Amazon, or, you know, little things like that can actually make a big impact to some people. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> no, I, I think that yeah. those are all valid questions, yeah. right? And, and I think we know, okay, the the it doesn't seem this way, but the retail mattress market is extremely competitive, right? So this is a good point of differentiation. And let's also keep in mind that Casper uh, in May announced a partnership with Target, right? And they're going to be available in 1,200 stores. So if Tuft & Needle was around a little bit before, let's say, Casper, then they're think, probably thinking, hmm, I need to expand, but how am I going to compete with Casper at this point? Yeah. So. This is, and I only have four stores, right, that I'm selling in. This is my fourth one. So let me try to make a splash. And I think this is the only store they're doing this with right. since they have three others. Right. So it's an experiment, really, it to is. see if it's they're, – they're, they're kind of engaged to see if this is going <laughs> to turn into something a little bit more serious. Yeah, no, that's great. It's, it's very interesting. That's for sure. Um, and, you know, opening a store is expensive, so they have no time to waste, right? They've, they've got to – They've got to turn their own inventory one way or another. And if that means Amazon can help them turn it, then go nuts. <laughs> right? Exactly. Join up. Join up. Um, great. So let, let's move on to our, um, our kind of which one of these kids is doing his own thing type topic here, uh, which doesn't have really anything to do with Amazon. But I think it's just because we we ran over some interesting interesting articles around the future of, of stores and the future of grocery and um and food in general and while they're they both have similarities right and and how we see people um shopping in general um there's some interesting concepts in both of the articles that we found and specifically about uh the stores of the future using um using more i would call more invasive deep learning and um you know essentially things like uh, your existing applications, you know, that you're using um, related to your social, your social activities and um, things where they've got, you know, predictive models that are helping you answer questions that maybe you didn't even have a question for yet um, and, and helping drive you to the right stores, to the right products, uh, things like that. I would argue that the article that we that we found on the retail store of the future is actually more current day than than future because there's lots of retailers already embracing, you know, in-store activity, monitoring, um, you know, where they're going throughout the store, uh, you know, pushing offers to them while they're in the store and, you know, uh, looking at their social activities and um, building in predictive models to how they how they promote store, uh, you know, s- store product sales or just products in general and how they communicate with their with their customers and shoppers. So um, I, I think, you know, that one, which we'll link, was was definitely more more current day, maybe a little bit nudged into the future. What did you think of that one, Jose, based on what uh, what that article was about? Which yeah, we'll I fully agree. It, it wasn't like a visionary article. And it, 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 you're absolutely right. It, it didn't really take you in, right? Whereas the second one uh, took you a little bit more in, right? Conceptually. Right, and, right. And this was the PSFK article on the supermarket and the future of the supermarket, which was definitely more visionary. And this is something that our listeners hopefully should check out. Uh, 
studio industries it's called the gentleman that that did the uh it's a video that, that's part of the article and he was speaking about the 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 grocery store of the future right exactly and and i think look what's interesting about this is that, uh, that there's a lot to be learned from complementary industries right so retail retail has many uh segments within it, grocery being one of them. And there are learnings to be taken from, let's say, grocery retailing into apparel and accessories uh, retailing. And I, I think that they, they take some really uh, interesting concepts, right, of, of um, what they talk about as, you know, the different types. They talk about the farming, mm-hmm. uh, the impact of climate change, population, hunger, um and how this translates into boxes on a shelf, right? Yeah. Which is interesting. Those yeah, are- there's lots of there's lots of signals. He calls them um, amplifying weak signals. That's what he's talking about. And it's it's uh, you know I, this could be something where we look back at organics, right? And this is something we don't really talk about food that much, as much as we both love food. We don't talk about food, the food part of retail, very much at all. But this is going to be going through similar changes that the apparel, technology, gadget, um, whatever, whatever sides of, of retail, meaning brick and mortar retail, uh, and how people consume consume foods when, you know, you go to a Whole Foods, and we'll see this with Amazon most likely, right? We'll see some adjustments in the technology in store and how we consume it, um, meaning how we get our hands on it, um, not necessarily, you know, through through you know, drones or whatever, but the way that we're, we're either <laughs> part, of, part of what this guy was saying was of almost growing it on our own in these, um, what did he call them? He called them, uh, like nanoscale. He was speaking about vertical farming and that becoming nanoscale, essentially where you're growing things at home in something the size of a toaster. That sounds totally ridiculous to most of us with any kind of sanity. And, you know, vertical farming is a thing, right? That's where they have, you know, a warehouse full of stacks of, you know, it's it's climate controlled and it's literally vertical stacks of herbs and whatever it might be that is that is growing in there. And this is a way of using space more efficiently, right, for for growing um, for growing food for food sources, <clears throat> especially in areas where maybe the climate isn't appropriate or whatever. So this is something that is coming to us at home, apparently, where we can grow our own food. I don't mean like putting you know, Star Trek material where we're putting in a little, you know, a little pellet into a into a, a little toaster and it comes out like a chicken. That's not what I'm talking about, but from what this guy was <laughs> saying is that it's 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 something that we'll be able to um, uh, self-serve at home in a way. I, I, I think this is a little too far-fetched for what I can wrap my head around right now. I don't know about you, but I think the what's going on here is he's trying to reinforce there's three things. There's three, there's three elements that we'll need to get straight in the future for grocery or for, or for food, and these are very high-in-the-sky elements, but... Um, he talks about planet, people, and profit. Um, he's saying right now that we only get one of these, so meaning profit, most likely. <laughs> um, the planet and people part, not so much, meaning planet being the, the Earth conscious, the environment conscious. Um, and people, I'm not sure what he's getting at with people, but, you know, the profit part is definitely there, otherwise, you know, Whole Foods and those folks would not be around. Sure. And look, I'm thinking about this, right, uh, in real time as you're talking about this, meaning in terms of just recent experiences at uh, the local stop and shop. And 
the amount of waste. So if we think about conceptually, just a framework that, that, that you've laid out, I walked into the stop and shop and I was shocked at the amount of, uh, let's say, variety of stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, it is massive. <clears throat> and if you want to get, let's say, a little bottle of extra virgin olive oil, good luck. I mean, you'll find it, but there's so many choices, right? Right. And then once you make a choice, that's only one product. If you're looking for salt, you could find all types of salt. <laughs> if you're looking for cereal, oh my God, have fun. Uh, and you don't know what cereal you're looking for, you'll pretty much find organic, regular, sweetened, uh, oh man, oh, yeah. milk. Milk, it's like, I thought that it just came from one place, right? But then no, mm -hmm. it's like a 1% non-fat, 2% whole milk, and then you have brand varieties, eggs. And I'm like, uh, I, I just need a yeah. couple of simple things. It seems like you get the feeling that there's a lot of waste involved. And I think a lot of what, um, of what he's talking about in this presentation, so it's should have mentioned this earlier, but his, he's from Studio Industries and it's their CEO, Mike Lee. And uh, he was speaking at <clears throat> PSFK 2017, which I believe was recently. And I uh, highly recommend going there and uh, watching the video. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's, again, it's, their, their role is to, is to be conceptual and to um, their, their, their stores of the future, their future supermarket that they actually are putting together are concepts and they're, Theories put into practice, not necessarily scalable theories or scalable ideas, but ideas that that could possibly work in in the future in some sort of format right now. And it seems like he's trying to, uh, they're trying to address these issues that have become bigger issues in recent years, uh, like climate change, you know, population growth, hunger, nutrition, food waste, and being able to translate that into something that goes on the shelf. And, you know, what, it, what is, what does that really mean? And then it goes back to, um, how can grocery stores innovate, which they haven't really. And this is probably part of the, uh, this may be some of what Amazon was thinking, although their purchase of Whole Foods is probably a little bit different, but still, you know, if there's anyone that's going to bring innovation to, to the grocery area, it's probably Amazon or, or smaller, um, companies like this that are looking at how can, how can grocery stores become innovative like google has and he mentions google's self-driving cars and amazon's delivery drones those types of things that have changed the way we know things um, sure right so how can this translate into food or how can this translate into going shopping for food because honestly going to the grocery store has been the same exact process except for having maybe an app on my phone where i can you know scan <laughs> my my wegman's card or whatever it might be there's really nothing else to it anymore um, it's the same thing it's been as 20, 30 years ago. So they're, they're seeing, Studio Industries is seeing potential here, especially in other parts of the world to, to, um, to make things either more efficient, to make things more recyclable, make things just cheaper or um, reflecting of the need for, uh, for, for, for spreading this capability off to other parts of the world too, not just, not just uh, bigger cities. So I'm curious to see what comes out of this, but um, I'm, I don't think there's any way for, you know, um, CPG companies or, or grocery stores to do much of this right now. I, I don't know. Hmm. It's, I, it's interesting. No, I, I agree. It, it, look, they're, they're on a business model that 
um, CPG companies and retailers that if you were to change and disrupt that business model, which is essentially what's happening, um, you're going to mess up the incentives that are in place. And the incentives are short term generally if they're public companies, if they have scale. So they're probably not going to be as innovative as they say right. they're going to be. We talked about the planet people profit. The profit part right. is what they're focusing on. And that's exactly. that's not going to change most likely unless there's unless there's a reason, if unless there's a profitable reason for them to change. I, I don't know, no matter how much political pressure or, you know, social pressure is put on uh, these companies. And they, they could, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me that they would actually uh, consider as much the planet people part as much as profit. But that could be the cynical side of me thinking... But still, there's there's potential for balance between no, the three, it seems. No, I, I, I agree with you. No, because I, I think about these things, right? Before we looked yeah. at these art, this article, I've thought about, like, okay, uh, on a personal note, um, how much waste does my household create <laughs> right. on a weekly basis? I mean, and it's not just the garbage. It's a recyclable piece. I'm like, oh, my God. Um, plastic, paper, uh, glass, and... If I were just to take me, forget household, just me mm -hmm. uh, alone, I create quite a bit, right? At lunch, if, if I were to go out to lunch and bring something back, that is an individual piece of, um, let's say, wrapping. Uh, could be paper, could be a uh, carton uh, that my salad is put in. And right. then I have to recycle that, right? And then you think of, and, and I'm pretty conscientious about recycling think of everything else that's or everyone else that does not recycle mm -hmm. right or if you think of the plastic i i feel ill every time i go and forget to bring my my own bags that are reusable because then it's just i think forget my lifetime past me what what happens with the plastic that just remains it'll remain many lifetimes over <laughs> because it just yeah. doesn't go away yeah. right and if you think about the people um planet thing it's just a future right or, or i think if you think of um and it, i don't think it was mentioned in the video or maybe mm -hmm. i missed it but how much water does it take to actually uh feed cattle right is, is mm -hmm. that really sustainable and you know compared to other things um and i things i'm not conscious of because often i don't see it if you don't see it you don't measure it and it's abstract right yeah, I mean, the, the sustainable foods idea has been a thing for a while, and the question is, has it that hasn't that hasn't scaled? And I think there, there it seemed, I think what he was getting at in this video is that there's going to be a point when these ideas can scale and they could become commonplace. You know, whether it is those those you know vertical farms in your toaster oven. <clears throat> I don't know. <clears throat> excuse me. I don't know what you're growing in a toaster oven, but I, I think I see what he's what he's getting at there, and that. Um, and he mentioned also your essentially your your personal biome of of uh swallowing a pill and it examining your internals and down to your uh yeah you, you know your intestines and seeing what 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 your genetic not genetic but what your makeup is in terms of your 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 own biome and and he gave an example of being able to have a custom made yogurt that has the right amount of of bacteria and the right types and everything that works perfectly for you to complement your your own your body. Now that sounds great, but I don't. Again, scale becomes an issue there. It, it seems like there might be less waste there because you're going to know exactly what you're going to buy. 
and you're not going to, you know, maybe, maybe you're only going to buy a certain amount of it or it's going to be made just for you. Maybe there'll be less choice in that case, meaning less, less brands you would buy from. I'm not quite sure, but that theory sounds interesting, mm-hmm. but it, again, it does, it goes back to, is it scalable? Is it profitable? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it unless it's in the, in the highest of the high locations of, 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 you know, of society where people are, are getting custom made food for their own bodies. I think it it sounds far fetched, but I think that will be the way uh, one day. Uh, I'm not sure how soon, because yeah. if you think of, of um, recently in the news, right, about the gene sequencing, yep, right, yep, problematic. But every technology could be used for something positive. It could be used for something negative. That a positive potential application would be to do just that, right, in yep. terms of changing it, which is already being done. But it's already being done in a way that's not necessarily, you know, the separate talk. But you could argue that it's not being done in a way that's sustainable or, or a way that, that could sometimes be ethical because ethics comes into this, too. So, so there's a whole lot of issues. But, but I yeah, think totally. I mean, getting- the ethics thing is totally right, because it's, you know, as part of this video, he mentioned also that, you know, food has a very personal place for us, a very ext- the, the most personal invasive place for us because it's going in our mouths i mean last last i saw we're not consuming clothes or any, we're wearing them sure but that one step further of ingesting foods and you know grocery stores maybe have that that closer tie to our guts in a way mm-hmm. not literally but you know in a way we, you know we're we go there to buy food that goes in our mouth and we want to know that it's that it's good and that it's you know it, but we don't, sometimes we just don't care because of the profit angle, right? We want something at a good price. We want to just eat. But there's going to be, it seems like there's going to be a change, at least what they're saying here is that in how things are delivered or how things are customized or how we, or how we consume in general um, in the future. But yeah, like you're saying, fully agree. soon. Yeah. Fully agree. Because I, I, I won't generally, I'll, obviously exceptions, um, I will not eat anything or buy anything that I don't understand. So it, if it. it's so no, too, no Fruit Loops for you, huh? <laughs> well, I grew up on those <laughs> and cow chocula and yes, the best. blueberry crunch Fake and all food this other is the stuff. best food. Yes. Yeah. But as an adult, um, I don't know what happened, but I just started saying, well, I, I really don't understand what all this stuff pre-internet. Yeah. Right. So it's like uh, I have to go to the library, figure out what this is. Uh, no. <laughs> well, that's where maybe the organics push, which was a weak signal maybe 10 years ago that was amplified by the industry embracing it. Um, whether it's due to food allergies becoming more rampant or it was just because society wanted it, you know, there's that, there's, there's a ground, you know, ground swell that happens with some of these things. And it happened with organics. The industry absolutely benefits from it, meaning profits, you know, and, and that's where it maybe takes people and profit into consideration. Now how legit some of the organic labels are is a whole nother story, but that is a really good example of what started as a weak signal and became a scalable, opportunity for you know everybody in a positive way it seems like exactly no precisely i mean or- organics is a perfect example as you said uh th- what is organic <laughs> right right yeah exactly um yeah I-, I get very specific about the stuff i buy that's organics because i don't think you need to buy everything organic but that's just that's me i'm you with know? you yeah yep. 
Well, that was fun. Hey, we talked about food. Um, we don't usually do that. We don't usually talk about grocery stuff, but but that was that was good. It was good to get away from um, some of the apparel stuff that we that we always talk about. So there's maybe that'll be more frequent. Maybe we'll we'll be talking more about this because maybe some of these concepts will become a reality. But maybe not maybe not too soon. But uh, it was a good time talking about that, nonetheless. Yeah. But that is that is a show, and thank you everyone for listening. If you have questions, comments, or feedback in general, you can email us at brickdatacast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. It's at brickdatacast. Uh, there's been a lot more uh, folks on there lately, which is great, um, that are following us, and we appreciate that. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever you consume your favorite podcasts. If you don't see us somewhere, just let us know. But until next time, take care, everyone, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye, everyone.